0: <laughs> so funny, isn't it? Oh, um, we are kicking off a new sermon series here called "The The Future of Faith," and it's just a couple of weeks. But I kind of thought it'd be interesting to talk about what does faith look like in the future for us, for the church in America, because. Things aren't going so well here. If you haven't been paying attention, more and more people are becoming distrustful of the church. More and more people are saying, "Like, I don't. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm not part of all this. I'm not religious. I'm not spiritual. I, I want out. I don't want in." Uh, and so, like, where is our future in this space? What? What have we? What's gone wrong here? And how do we live into a future where we honor the values of a faith? that is authentic and following Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about. And so today we're going to talk about a little bit about what value we start with. And I thought it would be interesting to go back to Genesis, where it all begins, and have a little story about Jacob. Now, if you know anything about Jacob, the Genesis is basically the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, uh, and how the, how the story of God began, how the story of the people of Israel got started. And sometimes we read the Bible, when we read stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and we, we read those and we think, oh, these were really great people. That's not true. <laughs> these were not really great people. Actually, these were people just like everybody else. They're not special, and that's kind of the point. Like, like they make huge mistakes, and yet still God is working in their stories. And so Jacob here is... Jacob's not a great guy. So Jacob basically tricked his brother. He deceived his father and tricked his brother out of his older brother's inheritance. And then right right before this story, we find him tricking his father-in-law to basically take his father-in-law's wealth with him and his daughters. So Jacob is like what we would call a habitual, deceptive liar. (laughs) He had some problems. And yeah, here we are. And verse thirty-two, chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-two says this: That night Jacob got up. This is right after he's like he's getting out of town with his father-in-law's sheep and goats and daughters. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm taking them. <laughs> I'm going to get rich. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of Jacob. After that, he had sent them across the stream. He sent over all his possessions because this is the story is what's going on. He just fled from his father-in-law and he's going to meet his brother for the first time since he tricked his brother out of his inheritance. It's been a while. It's been a little while here. But his brother Esau wants to meet him. And so Jacob's like, what does my brother, does my brother want to kill me? So what he decided, he was like, I'm going to split up my family and all my goods. Some of us will be over here and some of us will be over there because I'm scared to death. And at least like he won't kill us all. He can only kill half of us. And maybe I'll be in the half that doesn't get killed. So that's like his strategy. He's terrified, he's scared, and he's sending his people over across the river. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him. That's the way I say wrestle. I say wrestle. So I'll say that a lot today. He's wrestling with him. That makes sense here. That's what we say, right? Um, When I lived up north, they were like, you mean wrestling? I can't even say it right. Wrestling? Anyway. When a man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's familiar language from Jacob. I want you to give me something. I'm the important one here. You bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with human beings and have overcome Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip, which thus by near the tendon. Now, this story here is... Like, it, it's, it's mixed, right? In one way, we're like, wow, this is really cool. Jacob wrestled with God. The other side of the story is not so cool because this is an angel from heaven coming down to assure Jacob that things would be okay. And what does Jacob do? Jacob grabs him and wants a blessing from him. Bless me. Why do we read this today? Because I think if we're going to talk about the future of our faith, we have to be honest about our past. Christianity, to a large degree in America, has become an experience of how do I get blessed. I go to church so God can bless me. I pray so God can bless me. I worship so God can bless me. I give my money so God can bless me. The whole experience of the church in America, to a large degree has become, how can God bless me? And that's the way it's sold to a lot of people, right? I mean, you've gone to the church, you've gone to different churches that have been like, hey, you know, when you accept Jesus, your life will be so much better. That's kind of the story. That's how we frame Jesus. Accept Jesus and your life will be enhanced. It's really like an infomercial to a large degree. Like you're a bad person. You are screwed up. Your life is suffering because you are a bad person and screwed up. But if you surrender and accept Jesus, then your life will be fixed and you will be on the pathway to glory. Right? Who's at the center of that story? Me. You we are at the center of the story of christianity the way that it's been framed in america is largely putting us on the throne of the universe saying god loves me and god's going to forgive you and god will and god will make your life better Ta-da. And so that frames us in this certain way that now we live then our Christian faith out in the world and it becomes about me. And we see this as evidenced in the church, right? When we have like arguments about what kind of worship we're going to sing, who's that about? About me. Do you really think God cares if we sing a hymn or sing a song on guitar? I truly don't think God cares. So if we're going to be like, we're coming to worship Jesus, then that doesn't matter, right? But if we're coming to get blessed, if we're coming because this is about us, then it does matter a whole lot. If Do you think God is happy when everybody that possibly can comes into church and experiences God's love? God's probably happy about that. But oftentimes we make it about us and like, well, I'm uncomfortable with them being in the church. Do you really think God's uncomfortable with anybody? No. And so like what we have done, because we have started the story about this is about how I'm going to be blessed And so we go to the churches and we have the great experience and we get the emotional chills and we raise our hands and we feel good and we leave and we're like, oh, that service was so good. And we hear the word and we're like, oh, man, the pastor was on fire. That was just so good. Like, I feel so good. Since when did Christianity be about you feeling good? Like, I don't find that in scripture. We've made that up. Because ultimately, like, we want to be comforted, right? Because, like, genuinely, life is really hard. Life is hard. And we go through things that are hard. We want some space where we're going to feel like we're comforted. I want to be comforted. And that's legit. Like, we do want to be comforted. But I think we're trying to find comfort in the wrong way. By seeking comfort in a way that, like, I want to feel good about my life. God, please make me feel good about my life. I think that actually goes against. What we're trying to accomplish that will actually in the long run set up a system where we can't feel. It's like a drug, you know? It's like, it's like a high where we set up a system where, where I, I, I need to be comforted. And then and then and like, well, I don't feel so good. So now I need to feel good again. Now I need to feel good. So we get on this, like, this cycle of like, always trying to feel good and, and really expecting the church to make us feel good. And once the church stops making us feel good, once I or any other preacher makes you stop feeling good, what are you going to do? Well, there's a game on today, a Sunday. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to go to church today. <laughs> and we stop. Why do we stop? Because it's about us feeling good. Now, what that does ultimately is it puts us at the center of the story and deteriorates our message to the world because people can see right through that. People have really good BS meters, BS goggles, and they can see through it. And they're like, y'all are just about you. We're like Jacob, where we get this experience with God, and we're like, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God's like, let me go. Let me go. What are you doing? And if you're not going to let me go, I'm going to give you a limp for the rest of your life. Here you go. I'm going to dislocate you so that you can remember. But there's something else in this story that... Even in the sense that Jacob is trying to be blessed, God is still generous. God renames Jacob and gives Jacob the name Israel. Do you know what Israel means literally? Because it comes out of the story. Israel means those who wrestle with God. Have you ever, have you ever known Jewish folks? They're, they're, they're amazing. I love, I love Jewish folks because like <clears throat> you you if you haven't known Jewish people personally, you've probably seen it in movies and stuff. Like, like how. How, how, how Jews can like argue with each other, like really argue. Like they're at a meal and they're arguing about God or about politics or something. And they're just going at it. They're just arguing, 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 arguing. And then they stop and they're like, hey, you want to have some tea and dessert? Yeah, yeah, let's go do that. Because like inherent in their faith is like this idea of wrestling with each other to, to try to figure out life. So we're going to wrestle with each other. We're going we're gonna to go at each other. But then like we're done. But that's not like us, is it? Americans, we're like, we go back for Thanksgiving and we have a political discussion around the Thanksgiving table. And by the end, we are throwing cranberry sauce at each other. And we were like, I will never talk to you again. Defriend you on Facebook. I'm deleting your number. We will never talk. I am not your son. Right? <laughs> like, that's how we do. Like, we, we don't do wrestling so well. Because... Ultimately, we have been trained and framed that this is about me. This is about what I think of the world. This is about my values. This is about how I want to live. But the Jewish people have understood, like, life is not about me. Life is about God. Life is about God. What does God want in the world? And we're trying to figure that out together. And so that's why we argue, because we're trying to figure out what God wants in the world, not to figure out what I want in the world. The other, the other piece of the story here this morning is, is, um, is the story of the rich young ruler. And it, it goes like this. As Jesus started on his way, a man came up to him and fell on his knees before him and said, Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Who's this story about right now? Stories about the rich young ruler. That question is not a story of like, how do I serve God in the world? How do, I, how do I live for justice? How do I follow you, Jesus? It's about how do I get blessed? How do I receive eternal life? How many stories, how many of those little tracks have you read in your life that people leave, leave in bathrooms and stuff? And it's about, what is it about? It's about getting to heaven. That's the way we frame church in America. Like, getting to heaven. But that puts me at the center of the story. Just like this rich young ruler. How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, why do you call me good? Oh gosh. (laughs) Immediately he's pushing back on the rich young ruler. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You're trying to manipulate me, aren't you, friend? I can see through it. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, don't give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Really? (laughs) Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that. Loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Even though he is self-centered, even though he's just lied, Jesus loved him. One thing you lack, then, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Not exactly the answer that he wanted, right? At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. You know why they were amazed? Because it was assumed that the rich would go to heaven because they were blessed and like God was blessing them, and they were the ones who were really blessed. When Jesus was like, How, it'd be hard for them to get into the kingdom of heaven, and disciples were like, "What are you talking about, Jesus?" Children. How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Like if the rich can't be saved, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With human beings this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, I have no idea what it means for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and there's a bunch of explanations out there, but I don't really know. I don't think any of us really know, but it sounds hard, whatever that is. It sounds like that's not an easy thing to do. Why? Why? Because I think when we have great wealth in the world, what happens? We become the center of the story Because everybody wants us to know us. Everybody wants to do things for us. Everybody wants to invite us places. We have this sense of self-worth. We we begin to believe that we earned it and we made it and we are self-made people and I don't need anybody's help and I am in charge of the universe. That's what a lot of wealth does to most people. And so Jesus is like, you can't, You can't come to the kingdom and you still be at the center of the story. The only way you're ever going to enter this story is for you to get rid of the things that's making you the center of the story so you can put other people at the center of the story. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. About God being at the center of the story. And as God is the center of story of you pushing other people into the center of the story and you becoming less and less and less and moving yourself out further into the margins. That's what the kingdom of God is about. So go sell all you have and give it to the poor. Put them at the center of the story and you will put God at the center of the story and then you will understand what the kingdom of God is all about. But he couldn't do it because that's hard, isn't it? I wonder what's harder, to sell all our possessions and give to the poor or to not be the center of the story. When we come to Jesus, I think we come with this sense of, I want to make my life better. I want to, Jesus, what can you give me? But Jesus, throughout the scriptures, never gives anybody anything. He's always asking for everything from them. Hey, Jesus, what can I do? Then you need to give up. You need to carry your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. Put yourself second and put me first. Like that's how the story goes. But yet, we keep putting ourselves at the center. And we're like, hey, Jesus, hey, 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 I'm at the center, but I'd like you to still follow me wherever I go. And that's kind of the way church operates to a large degree. That is why I believe that more and more people are saying, I'm out. It's not about God. This is about y'all. It's about how you maintain your power. You think that God needs like we think God needs a press secretary, right? And so we're like always defending God and always trying to fight for God, and and I don't think we need to do that. Sometimes we just need to be people who are like I I don't know the answer, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. But oftentimes we find right the most religiously zealous people, like this happens all the time. I'm always it's 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 sad, but. Like just this week, right, a story of some yet another one of those who persecuted the LGBTQ community and founded organizations to do conversion therapy and to, to lead you them out of that. They turn up to be themselves gay. Like it's like, oh, man, why well, didn't you just recognize that a long time ago and not harm people in it? But doesn't that isn't that sort of like the story? Like those who are like pointing their finger the hardest come out a few years later as the ones who are guilty. Right? Because what they're doing is putting themselves at the center of the story. It's hard not to be at the center of the story. Everything in our brain is telling us be the center. It's hard. I think, of, um, I think that the way that we do that, one of the ways we do that is by Jesus doing what Jesus told us to do, by selling our possessions and giving to the poor. Now, maybe, maybe that for you is selling all of your possessions and giving to the poor, but maybe for some of you it's selling some of your possessions and giving to the poor. I don't know. But that's, that, that sense of like, I'm going to bless other people, I'm not going to hold on to God in order to get the blessing for me. I'm going to partner with God and give my blessing for them. And say, God, would you bless them? And God's like, yeah, I'll bless them through you. Good, yes, here, here. You know, the work of being a Christian is difficult and will demand more than you wanted to give. The work of following Jesus constantly Cause us to deny ourselves and seek the good of others. And in doing so, we will begin to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. I think the future of our faith is a faith with a limp. Not the sort of faith that says, We stand and are assured of all the things that we have said about God. No, I don't think that's the future of faith. I think that is bound to failure. And we have seen over and over and over again, right? We have, we have seen people stand and on their soapbox and declare that slavery is of God's will. Eh, no, it's not that over and over again we've seen these things. I think faith in the future is a faith with a limp where we come to this space where we recognize, yes, we have made it about ourselves, but it's time to make it about others. And so God, would you touch us? Would you give us a limp? Would you remind us of what this life is about, that we don't have all the answers, that we're not assured of all the things, that life is hard and difficult, and the best we can do is live in such a way to bless others? Faith. Faith with a limp, that we come to this space, and we have hurt, and we have gone through things that are hard, and we don't have all the answers, we don't have all the solutions, but here's what we have, our love, and we give you that. I remember that in this scene, um, have y'all ever seen Braveheart? It's um, it's my favorite movie, uh, maybe one of my favorite movies, and I've seen it, I don't know, maybe a hundred times in life, and it's a, pretty long, it's a pretty long movie, so that's like thousands of hours of my life dedicated to this one um, Hollywood movie, and I may or may not be able to quote the whole movie to you if you watched it with me, and um, one of my favorite lines is when when William Wallace is there, and they're going to fight the English, and he looks out, and he says, I, you may die, but would you, uh, many years from now, give all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell the English that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Like, that is my favorite scene. That I say that to my kids sometimes, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? But, <laughs> thank you. But anyway, um, anyway, where were we? Uh, yes, Braveheart. There's this scene where after this battle, and you have, to, you have to watch the movie a couple times and like look into the background. But in the background, you see these priests. Now, the priests were involved. The Irish, the, the Scottish priests were involved in, in like the, the battles, and they would bless people, and they would pray before, but then... After the battle was winding down, you saw them in the background, these priests with these, these brown robes on would grab the ones, the, the soldiers who are still alive, and they would pull, be pulling them out away from the battle to get them to the edges because if the enemies came and saw that they were still alive, they would, they would, they would kill them. And so here the priests were dragging them out away from danger always remarkable to me because that is the work that we are called to. To go into these dangerous places and pull out people who are suffering. And yes, we may get hurt in that. We could take a stray arrow. Some of those that we are pulling out may die on the way out. But I believe our call is When there is a building on fire, we are the ones running in. When there is hurting and destruction, we are not the ones worrying about, how is this going to affect my life? How is this going to be for me? We are the ones that say, oh, my God in heaven, bless them, have mercy, and we are going to go help. I think the future of our faith is that we have to be authentic people not putting on a show, not making it about us, but we truly have to have Jesus and the kingdom of God as our center and not be worried about us, me, you. Because people are suffering in our world. And it doesn't matter if we play a guitar or an organ, that doesn't matter. There are people suffering in our world. It doesn't matter what color our carpet is. The people are suffering in the world. It doesn't matter so many things. What matters is that people are suffering and need to have a touch of the living God. And that touch will always come through us. That is hard work. And we will get hurt in it. But let us not be those who make it about us and be like, well, you know, I tried to help somebody and they didn't want help. And so like, and that hurt my heart and I'm never doing that again. It's about us. It's about you. Let us be the people who say, I'll keep on. I'll go back into the battle. Pull out. I'll keep helping and keep blessing. I think that value will define us at our future And give our faith hope to thrive and survive. Today, how are you living your faith? Today, is is faith in God about you or is it about God? Are you holding on to God so tightly and say, God, would you just bless me? Or are you willing to hold on to God and say, God, would you bless them? Because they're suffering. Today, may we not be like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus asking for something for ourselves and cannot deny ourselves, but let us follow Jesus with our whole will and whole heart, willing to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him in order to bring hope and healing to the world. Let us, church, have faith with A limp. Let's pray together as we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord God, as we prepare to come before you to take a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup and remember your sacrifice for us, we pray that you would mold us and cleanse our hearts. That as we do this act, as we worship you, as we come to church, that this experience would not be about us not about how I get my blessing, how I get comforted, how I make a better life, how I get financially blessed. But Lord, may this experience constantly be placing you at the throne of our hearts, removing us from the center of the cosmos and putting you there. And may we partner with you for the redemption of the world so that we may too Enter the kingdom of God. God, humble us. When we hold too tightly and want your blessings, would you dislocate our hip to remind us that this is not about my blessing. This is about how God will bless the world through me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.